What's up? What's up, y'all? It's Keenan here. Uh, man, I'm sorry. It's it's been a while. The last time I did a I did an episode, it was the 2019 episode. Well, it is now 2020, y'all, and a lot has happened. Um, but it's great to be back. Great to be talking to y'all again. And yeah, crazy times, crazy times. Um, well, as y'all know, I'm in Austin currently. Well, probably you didn't know, but I'm in Austin, Texas. I'm officially moved, um, and it's been quite an interesting time, quite an interesting time. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of weird. It's because I moved here this past March, and um, I feel like I, you know, I've been here close to 90 days now, close to three months now. It's, it's now June, I think it's June 10th. Um, so I've definitely been here for three months, still new, still fresh, but I feel like I still haven't settled because, um, I know I got here and I had like one solid weekend and, um, then everything shut down. And so I never really got a chance to get like my teeth into the city, um, or meet people. I met a handful of people, um, that I've been talking to, but yeah, I haven't experienced the entirety of, of the city yet. Um, so hopefully things will start to, things are starting to pipe back up now. Um, but I honestly think it won't necessarily be back to normal until towards the end of this year. Um, so still kind of playing it by ear. Um, kind of good news with that. I've started recording again. I'm still trying to get my project out by my birthday, which is July 31st. Um, so excited about that, getting some momentum, um, but yeah, um, this is episode number 10. So number nine was pretty much about 2019 and how 2020 was supposed to be an amazing year, an amazing year of clarity because 2020 representing 2020 vision. But this has probably been one of the most unclear, uh, like unclear years um, in the last decade, I would say. Um, just a lot's been happening, you know, with um, COVID-19 and with the unrest, which I'm going to talk about, um, that's been going on with the police and the, you know, Black Lives Matter movement has resurged. Um, just a lot of things have been happening and I've chosen to stay quiet for a really long time just to sit back and reflect. And, you know, I don't really watch news that much. Um, I don't really have cable, so I don't watch cable television. I do stay in tune with things going on with um, social media, YouTube, pretty much social media, even though it's not the best source to get your news from. But other media outlets, um, I tried, I kept, I paid attention to a lot of the things happening, tuning in different podcasts. Um, yeah, it's just been a lot. Um, but I definitely want to talk about it for sure. So I'll call this episode my black box because there's been a trend going around about social media, about Blackout Tuesday, which already passed. Um, and people have been posting black boxes on their Instagram, you know. Um, and if you guys don't know me by now, I am not one that's described to trends. Um, but I understand why people do it and why people 
think that's a great idea, of course. And, you know, hats off to people like that's their first step in addressing this issue of uh, how unequal it is in America, where, you know, we're supposed to be the country of the land of the free, home of the brave, um, all men are created equal, yada, yada, yada. Um, but that's not the case for everybody here, particularly uh, people who are di- different ethnic hues. And I say ethnic hues for the reason that, as I say all over and over and over again, that we are one race, the human race. There is no such thing as different races. Um, and I'll unpack that. But yeah, it's definitely not equal for black people as opposed to white people, for la- for Latino, brown people, as you want to call them, as opposed to white people. For anyone that isn't what we deem quote-unquote white, it is unequal. The systems that are put in place in this country were put in favor of the white man. Um, the framers of our Constitution were white men. Even though the contents of the Constitution itself, I I feel like, are way bigger than the people who framed it. Um, I'll kind of take the stance of Frederick Douglass um, in regards to the Constitution. You can read his memoir to figure that out. Um, But that's an aside. So before I kind of tell you kind of what I envision my black box as, I guess, let's go through my life history so you understand... Um, where I come from, and how I developed the views that I have. So for those of you who don't know that I haven't talked to or personally met, um, I might have touched on a little bit of this in some of my other podcasts I don't remember, honestly. But I'm from Tupelo, Mississippi, okay? Um, it is probably as deep south as you're going to get in this country. Um, my mom is an immigrant. She's from Nassau, Bahamas. She's Caribbean. My dad is from Tupelo, Mississippi. Um, so it's safe to say that I grew up in an immigrant household, kind of half 50% immigrant household. Um, but my experience and, and my experience is probably different. It's actually a lot different from your typical Southern black person um, growing up in the South. Um my family, my last name is Stone. My family was well known in my town. My grandfather was a very, 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 very uh, respected man in our community. He was a principal at a very uh, prestigious local um, middle school. And he got a lot of respect from both the black community and the white community. So the name Stone is a very famous name uh, within Tupelo. My grandpa was a former um, athlete. He what he played the Negro League, the Memphis Red Sox. Could have went major, um, but decided to marry my grandma instead and settle down. Um, so he actually there's actually he's actually in a local museum in Tupelo. So he's a local celebrity. So our family was kind of different because you know we had that clout um, within our community, especially amongst white people. Um, I was raised, me and my sister, I have an older sister. She's seven years older than me. Um, we were both raised to be well-spoken. 
um, and just to carry ourselves in the in in the best way possible. I'm not saying that other black families don't do that with their children, but having a mom who's from a different country and you know coming from a family that I come from, like there's a lot of things that are expected out of us, and so we were raised to be well spoken and and to um and to really focus on you know being analytical using our head thinking before we talk things like that you know um and we went to private school and the private school was a private christian school and it was a predominantly white private school um pretty much me and my sister with probably one other uh, black person we were the only black people that went to that school and it was a school that was made up made up of you know rich white people um a lot of the f- parents you know they were either in the medical field they were business owners they were in the banking industry um you know pretty much the whole gamut of things old money um that was the makeup of that private school and i spent 8 8 years there so from kindergarten all the way to eighth grade I went to this private Christian school so did my sister um and so we were like the token black people I was a token black guy in class and I just kind of was absorbed into the white community where I was just not really seen as black I was kind of you know the term of that white people use a lot is I don't see color I was actually one of those non-colored people within that community um, and so growing, growing up around white people so long, you know, uh, you just kind of get seen as quote unquote white, um, by black people who don't necessarily grow around white people that the typical black person that grows up in the hood or just grows up around each other, you know? Um, and so, having predominantly white friends, like the only friends that I had that weren't white were (laughs) my sister and people from the church that grew up in a black church. Um, But outside of that bubble within my family and my church family, I really never interacted with black people. And, And I was obviously different. I talked different. I dressed different. And the thing is, my own community, my black community would point that out and make that very, very clear that I was different. And I was ostracized um, from the black community because I didn't fit within that black box, quote unquote. Um, so yeah, it was really hard. You know, it identified as being black, but I wasn't given the space to be me. Um, and it was kind of on both sides because like I was in the white world, but I wasn't white. And it was obvious that I wasn't white, but I was black, but I wasn't growing up in 100% black street culture, um, which is important um, in the black community in in certain areas, in the area I grew up in especially. Um, So I didn't really fit in both worlds. But I knew how to navigate the white world because I grew up around white people. It's it's really confusing, guys. I'm trying to make this as clear as possible. I have a point to all of this. Um, 
so with that background, growing up in white in, in um, white society, you know, I got a chance to really understand how white people think, and from those years, there are white people coming from from Mississippi. There are white people who are straight up hateful, right? What we call racist. And for many reasons, they don't even know why they are. It's just how the way they were raised. It's all nurture, not nature. When you're a child, you don't understand all this stuff, right? You have to be taught this. This is These are things that are taught, right? Um, like I remember going, going to class. I was like in first grade, and I ended up having a random conversation with a buddy of mine, and he said that mom and dad said that it's not right for – a a white person to marry a black person. You know, just like things like that that kids will say that their parents say. Um so I started figuring that stuff out at a very early age. Um other other instances where, you know, I I'd be really close with with the groups of white people. And I would be in those conversations that uncle has that you know the, the racist uncle has with the family about, you know, telling, you know, nigger jokes and stuff like that. Um, like, I've been there. I've been in those conversations because I've been so entrenched within that world where they people forget that I'm actually black, right? <laughs> like, I was talking to my sister a couple of days ago how, um, you know, I was at this party that was, like, pretty much all white people. I was the only black person there. And one of the relatives was talking about President Obama and how like he can never vote for him because he isn't white like me. Um, he ain't American like me, you know. Another instance, I was at um, a bonfire where I was the only black person there, and the guy that I knew for for quite a few years, he was kind of in the same friend group. Um, he made the statement on "Let me get my nigger stick." nigger stick and i was right in front of me when he said nigger <laughs> and then he saw me and then he realized what he said and i was like what did you say and he was like oh i didn't mean it that way uh you're not a nigger keenan you're black And in that moment, when when that when those words came in his mouth, like I didn't really know how to react to it because it was like really shocking to me, you know. Um, initial reaction that most black people would do in that situation is knock him the f out, right? <laughs> but I'm a lover, not a fighter. But it was just like one of the situations where, like, what do you say, you know? And and the, and the messed up thing about it is that. He just kind of swept it under the rug and never addressed it and never apologized to me about it. And this guy's supposed to be a church-going person and a Christian, right? That's another thing I'm going to talk about. In high school, I asked out a white girl to prom because the black girls are tripping. They don't know what to do with them. They don't know how to deal with a black guy like me who who acts like the way I act. So of course, the only option I have is to ask a white girl to prom at this point, right? Ask a white girl to prom in front of everyone, yada, yada, yada. You know, it was all like surprise thing. She said yes to me in public, but she pulled me aside in private and told me she can't go because her parents don't like black people 
and don't want her going out with a black person. That happened probably three times. I go out on a date with a white girl one time. She really likes me. And she makes up an excuse why she can't hang out the second or third time. Then she finally breaks and says her parents hate black people. On and on, guys, on and on. Like, I'm not going to bog you down with these stories, but this is reality, right? Actually, no, I'll, I'll tell you a couple more stories. When I was going to private school, I played in the basketball team. And we were in the private league, so we weren't, like, in the public school league. Um, so we played places like Calhoun Academy. If you know who John C. Calhoun is, he was the, the seventh vice president of the United States, advocated for slavery, um, you know, look him up or whatever. Calhoun County, Mississippi, Calhoun Academy. I play basketball there. Go to the gym. There's a gigantic rebel flag above the school stage in the basketball court. Full out rebel flag, right? Went to places like Delta, like the Delta, which is super segregated until this day area in Mississippi. Um, all white, all white, all white, everywhere. White, 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 white. That's the world I was living in. Um, high school, 2009, I graduated. I was a senior. Throughout that entire time, we had two homecoming queens. We had a white homecoming queen. We had a black homecoming queen. A white homecoming queen and a black homecoming queen in the 21st century, guys. It didn't change until I graduated high school. In 2009. Okay, so end of those stories. You know where I come from. You know the crap that's going on, right? Guys, I'm glad that everybody is finally understanding the problems we have in this country when it, when it, when it comes to skin color. This is nothing new because I've lived it my entire life. I've gotten calls from friends, uh, actually from people I really haven't even known more than three months just since moving here, um, you know, that have called to check up on me. I've had friends from overseas, Germany, I love you guys in, in, in Germany, um, friends from, uh, you know, China and Asia, like, you know, there's people over the world calling me and, you know, DM me, DMing me on Instagram, like, you know, saying like, like, we're sorry what's happening and stuff. Like, and I love you guys for that. But this is nothing new. Like, people, ex- people are expecting me to, like, have an emotional response to what's going on right now. And I don't because it's been a reality since whenever, since, since I've been around. So I've been numb to that. I've been desensitized to that. I'm glad that everyone's finally understanding that this is an issue that needs to be talked about. And the problem with this country is that people in power want to sweep this under the rug like it never happened. We can't have a conversation about it correctly because it's always been avoided. And the only way change is going to happen is at the very top, as, as you guys know. Right. So when white people call me on the phone 
and sobbing and like you know we understand how this is happening i understand the heart behind what the heart behind those those initial calls so that feel like every black person's gotten a call from a white person at least once or twice and the pro- and the thing is we don't need those calls i don't need to hear from anybody what i need is for people's lifestyles to change and what i mean by that is that Befriend people that are different from you. Hire people in your workplace that are different from you. Right? Diversify the workplace. Diversify your life. When you have those when you have those racist uncles that come in that talk about other ethnicities other ethnicities in in a in a, a negative light, speak up. Don't condone the type of conversation within your household. It starts in the homes. It starts in the heart. It starts in the heart and the home, right? And no amount of black boxes is going to improve that. Now, posting a black box on Instagram, for some people, is a start, right? Which is great. But there's a lot of people who are posting black boxes on Instagram and whatever, Facebook, I don't care. And that's like their only action, like I did my my public service for the day because I posted Black Lives Matter with the with the black fist and a in a black box on Instagram, right? That's those people. Those type of people are actually contributing more to the problem. They're a part of the problem. It's funny, the people that I grew up with that are pretty much all white haven't once are, are quiet. You know, they haven't said anything about what's going on. They posted black boxes, but they, but they haven't said anything about it. I haven't heard from them, actually, which I don't expect to hear from them. But it's funny that people I've only met since, like, March of this year have called to check and see if I'm okay, right? Have called me. And I haven't heard from the, po- the people, the white people <laughs> that I grew up with since I had a rattle. Where are those people at, right? So that's that's an interesting aside there. But the thing is, guys, that nothing has changed. That's what I'm saying. Like, nothing has changed. Yes, black people have the right to vote. You know, women have the right to vote. Schools are desegregated. We got those sweeping reforms and, you know, those amendments due to the civil rights movement. Yes, those things have happened. And we've made strides in that regard. But in terms of the spirit in this country of hate, of colorism, of classism, that has not gone away. It's just reinvented itself. Instead of outright calling somebody, uh, you know, a nigger or, or having segregation, right, it's spiraled into what we call categorical racism, quote-unquote, as the systems itself are, are um, what's the word? They're perpetuating segregation, right? They're, they're perpetuating inequality. Um. It's just a very complicated thing to unpack. And the way that 
change can happen is that those systems are dismantled by the people who created them, which are, you guessed it, white people. And let's go back even farther. This came from freaking Europe, okay? Like, all my European buddies are talking about there's no justice in America, racism in America, all this stuff. This is a European idea. This is... The whole concept of race and color came as a justification on why slavery was legitimate enterprise. This was a complete construct devised by European whites. This is all about economics. And race was the justification. The creation of race was the justification of this. You can go back through the history about that, but that's this came this is old. This came from the old world. This is not a new world North American thing. There's racism in Germany, there's racism in France, there's racism in uh the Middle East, there's racism in Africa. There's racism in Brazil, South America, there's racism in the Latino community, there's racism everywhere. Racism is a construct. Which came from Europe. The whole Eurocentric uh, view of beauty. The lighter skin you are, the more beautiful you are. It's all over freaking Asia. Oh my gosh. You ever go to Asia? They're all about being fair skin. Shout out to my Asian buddies. You guys know. The fairer you are, the more beautiful you are. Because that was, a con- that was um, established from a Eurocentric standpoint. On, on how beauty should be um, viewed. The Disney movies, Mirror, Mirror on the Wall, who's the fairest of them all? Being fair is being beautiful. Snow White, all this stuff, guys, has been infected, our, it's infected our culture. This colorism is demonic. The whole root of this problem, guys, this is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battle. You guys know my faith. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. (laughs) God, the creator of the universe, not the universe. (laughs) This is spiritual warfare. There are forces at work that are beyond our comprehension that are looking to divide and looking to get us to destroy each other. And the enemy, who I'll call the devil, uses the same tactics, the same tactics over and over again. They're so simple, they're so stupid, but they work. Something as small as skin color is being used to literally destroy the fabric of our society. White people aren't the enemy. It's the spirit of hate that's the enemy. White, black, brown, red, green, blue, it doesn't freaking matter. Actually, I'll scratch that out. We are all freaking brown, guys. We're all brown. Do you understand that? 
No such thing as black. No such thing as white. No such thing as yellow. <laughs> as in regards to skin tone, we are all different hues of brown. The fact that we use color in the way we use it is a problem. Our language needs to change. The fact that we describe someone as white and we describe someone as black is a problem. So our language needs to change. I am not an African American. I'm a freaking American of a brown hue. Yes, my heritage is of Africa and also Europe too. We're all mixed up with all sorts of stuff in this country. It's America. Do we call quote unquote white people European Americans? Because that's what they are. Their ancestors are from Europe. My ancestors are from Africa. So why does everyone besides quote unquote white people have to have a a dash in front of American? It should be the same across the board, right? But that's another thing. I know I'm rambling, but this is just me getting my thoughts out. So back to how do we change the current situation? Well, first of all, we destroy the, the entire prison industrial complex. Prison is a business. It's a business. You know that there's a privatized business that it actually it actually is a money-making enterprise. The more people that are in prison, the more money these companies make. And also, they have these prisoners working um, for little to no wages. A lot of the things that we get, that we, that we use, the things that are made, things that are sold here are made from prison labor. Pretty much slave labor, this legal slavery. So that whole system needs to be gutted. Police reform, what does that look like? Very simple. It should not take three months or six months, three to six months for someone to become a police officer. It's the craziest thing. The craziest thing. You know, police have the biggest authority in this country. They have the right to take away an American's constitutional right by a whim. And even if they're in the wrong, the law protects them. You Like, there's no, there's no way of defending yourself from a police officer that is unjust. Impossible. And it's obvious we they can't get charged, they can't be held accountable. It's the same it's the same vicious cycle over and over again. So John Doe can go to high school and not and and not even go to college, be a terrible student, be a terrible person. And one day, oh, I just want to be, I want to become a cop and have all this authority. Get a gun and a badge and patrol the streets. Within six months, John Doe's able to do that. Now tell me, how right is that? If you're going to be given one of the biggest responsibilities and biggest, I guess, biggest influences in American society... Literally having the right to take away someone's freedom. This is like major power, guys. There should be 
it you should be getting the the best and brightest people. There should be string it should be a strenuous process to weed out the riffraff. It takes four years for me to for you to get a bachelor's degree at a university. Five years for a master's degree. And it takes you six months to get a gun and a badge to be able to enforce the law. That makes no sense. So police officers should at least have a college degree. That's going to cut out 50% of the people that join the force. But I would take it a step further. If you have to go to law school for four years, so on top of the undergrad four years, four years in law school, that's the eight years of education. I feel like it should be the same amount of time to become a police officer. So if it takes eight years to be able to interpret the law, it should take at least eight years to be able to enforce the law or even longer. That's going to cut down all the funding that the police department gets. It's going to cut down on the riffraff that enters the force. Um, it's going to cut down a lot of that stuff. So making the requirements more strict and stringent to become a police officer, that's going to, that's going to solve a lot of the problem right there. third part of the problem as i said before is a spiritual matter legislation will help but the hearts of people have to change and how do the hearts of people change through legislate not through legislation this is my belief guys and this is pretty much the christian belief so disclaimer for those of you guys who aren't quote-unquote religious and don't believe in that stuff but this is my conviction only God can change the hearts mankind is not inherently good in its own we get our we get our our, um, our understanding of good and evil from the creator this is what I believe so we can discern good and evil, but evil is a natural thing for us to fall back on because of the fall of man from the beginning. God is good. God is justice. God is love. He is the source of all of that. So without him, we cannot achieve good. And so really... It's, God, it's up to God to change the hearts. Well, not up to God, but it's God who, the heart is God's jurisdiction. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And so all I can say to that is, guys, is just we have to look to God for that. And we have to let God or allow for God to do that work. Is a spiritual matter. There are forces of darkness and forces of good. Dark light, good and evil. This is this is the battle. So me as a believer, I can only affect my immediate world. Love thy neighbor, right? Love it. What does what does love thy neighbor mean? It means loving those who are different from you. 
This is what Jesus said over and over again when he was on this earth. There are racial issues thousands of years ago, or ethnic issues, ethnic tensions thousands of years ago. Love thy neighbor, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. What it means to be a believer, which is completely radical, to be a true Christian is to love your enemy. So that guy who killed in cold blood, George Floyd, as a Christian, as a believer, me personally, I'm supposed to love that person. (laughs) I'm supposed to forgive that person. The family of George Floyd is supposed to forgive that person. If their beliefs are Christians, are supposed to forgive that person. It's super radical. People like that police officer that killed George Floyd. People like George Zimmerman. People like Michael Dunn. White supremacists. Any type of, any type of uh, radical group. This is going to be radical, guys. They aren't the enemy. It's the spirit behind them that's the enemy. And I know this is a lot of, this is probably over, over your head. For those of you who don't believe in the spirit realm or anything, quote unquote, religious, anything of that matter. This is probably a complete left field to you guys. I understand. This is not your worldview. You don't see the world this way. Um, so... This is not like a debate or anything or saying you're right or wrong. This is, this is just me from my perspective, from my worldview. This is a spiritual battle. So, action steps moving forward. Love your neighbor. Change your language. Hang around people who are different from you. Do the right thing. (laughs) The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's super simple, guys. It starts with you. And another thing that that I'll say, too, is that me being a Christian, I'm very mad at how the church has handled this entire thing when it comes to hate, racism, whatever you want to call it. In American society in general, especially growing up in the Bible Belt in the South, the most divided places are the churches, in which the church is supposed to be a shining example for the world on how the world should live. And how we should treat one another. But it's not the case in the churches. People who are church going people. Go to church every Sunday. Are some of the most hateful bigoted people. Those are people who don't. Who don't really truly have the love of God in their heart. Because if that were the case. This wouldn't be the case. So a lot of the churches that are in America. Are deceived. Are living a lie. 
And I can understand why a lot of people really dog on Christianity because it's a double standard and people who are quote-unquote Christians are hypocritical and don't live what they claim to believe. That's a hard pill to swallow. You know who Jesus hated the most? Were the self-righteous religious people. (laughs) The Pharisees, he called them vipers, hypocrites. The church is hypocritical in America. And it's hard to say because I'm a Christian and I love God, right? But I feel like that the church in general has lost the foundation of what it means to follow Christ, what it means to be a Christian. So... That's a that's a tangent, but it's just like these are my thoughts. This is the virgin talk, so this is me just like kind of just being unfiltered to you guys. Um so the hearts, guys, the heart has a change. The heart has a change. And God changes the hearts. And so I pray every day that our leaders wake up, that people continue to wake up, um, that people can that people start to seek God towards these problems. These problems can't be solved by mankind alone. Well, God actually works through people in this earth. Um, So again, actually, I'll go back. It can be solved through mankind. God has equipped us to make this change. Um, But we have to seek him as well at the same time. So again, I'm praying, I'm praying for this country. You know, I I love my country. I love America. I do. But I'm not going to have a false sense of patriotism at at the same time. There's a lot of crap that's happened, a lot of things that have happened that haven't been dealt with, that have been swept under the rug, that needs to be brought to light, that needs to be dealt with, that needs to be talked about. This country has been built on the backs of slavery, on the backs of of just outright lies. But at the same token, this is a great country to where we're able to express our opinions and be able to have the freedoms to be able to protest and, and do all these things. So America is <laughs> far from perfect But I don't know. It's hard. I love this land. I love the people in it. But the systems in place need to go. Need to be. They need to be restructured and reformed. That's what I'm getting at. 
We need different leaders. And we just need to learn how to be able to communicate with each other. And we need to change how the way we talk about each other, how the way we, just pretty much the words that we say. Because the way that we describe things right now, the way that we talk in terms of race, quote unquote, in terms of color, that needs to, that needs to leave the English language. Like it needs to be blotted out. So, I don't know. I had notes written down, <laughs> but I totally went all over the place. I just It's just me kind of like a stream of consciousness just like putting it all out there, guys, so you kind of can understand where I'm coming from. But bringing it all to a close, this is my black box. Um, so with that... Um, I'm going to let you guys go. For those of you who are out in the streets protesting, stay safe. Um, for those of you who might run across this, who are in a position of authority to make a change in your community or in your immediate environment, do that. Um, but all of us have the ability to influence our immediate circle and our sphere of influence by how the way we act, how the way we talk, how the way we treat other people. So use that influence as we all have a voice. I love you guys. I hope this made sense to you. For those of you who know how to contact me, you know, hit me up sometime. I'd like to hear from you. Um, if you found any of this coherent enough to share with anyone, feel free to share it. Um, I love everybody. Um, that's reached out to me. I'm not taking anything away from that. Um, I love everybody. I, I just, I just love you guys. So, um, hopefully I'll be back and not wait months and months to do another episode, but this is episode 10. Till next time.